One question I have that the naysayers are going to have is, well, if this is the case, why don't these portals exist in big cities or in these other places where people are? Why is it only in this one area that happens to so conveniently be behind a, a camping ground? So he goes back there and our remote viewing data showed this sort of vortex thing open up at a certain point and him getting sucked into it. I know it sounds absolutely bizarre, but when he got sucked into it, it was like like he's tossed around in a washing machine, like he's in between realms. It's like the upside down. But John, why Shasta? Why is this place the place that they're doing this type of thing? Is it because, did you look into that at all? Like what, what is it about this place? I think this happens in, in locations where you have a lot of light energy, a lot of potential for trans transcendental type energy flowing. I have seen exactly what you're talking about, but in person, in person. Okay. So what did you do? Pretend like I didn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Metaphysical Podcast. You're joining us in the middle of a deep dive into the lost continent of Lemuria, Mount Shasta in California, and the strange phenomena connecting the two. Today, we'll talk about the mysterious phenomena of missing people and how it's not only common, but has been going on forever, according to a local sheriff. But there are a few missing people cases that honestly just don't seem to make sense. Why did they disappear? Were they taken by someone or something? What bizarre and startling information did a missing three-year-old claim happen to him while he was taken? And what did John Vivanco's remote viewing data show happened to more missing people? Well, between John's data and the investigative research from me, Rob Counts, you're really in for a show that's out of this world. And are you listening to the Metaphysical Podcast or watching us on a video platform? If you are, please leave us a five-star rating and review to help us reach more people. It, it really, really helps. Make sure you like and subscribe wherever you're watching us. So have you ever heard of the missing people around Mount Shasta? So many stories and so many mysteries around this. Um, a lot of these I found, John, became popular because of the Missing 411 series by David Pilates. And um, I mean, there are a lot of questions around this. I mean, and it adds to the mystery, I think, of Mount Shasta because it's not just like weird phenomena. Now we're talking about missing people, which uh, kind of gets kind of dark. Yeah, it gets really dark with the missing people. Um, and I know that at least in the Mount Shasta area, police officers of the area say there's just an inordinate amount of missing people in that area. It's, it's, above, it's above average. And they don't quite know why because a lot of them are just gone. Like they're erased from the face of the earth. And that's all there is to it. So there's no way to find out what happened to them. Um, and then, you know, you have the whole National Park Service in general, who some people say are suppressing information on the amount of people that go missing in these places. Or, or, or they're scared to talk or about they're scared, it. yeah. And maybe yeah. they've seen things, uh, you know. Um, we've got, so we've been mentioning in, in some of our previous episodes um, that Kesha had this show called uh, Conjuring Kesha and that she right. would talk to this local sheriff, right? this local sheriff that she talked to about the strange disappearances in the area. The sheriff says that people have gone missing there forever. Just like what you said, like they just disappear. Right. And that, uh, the sheriff also tells this or retells this rumor of a lost city called Telos under the mountain. And he says that he's seen weird things like UFOs on the mountain. And this is a just law enforcement sheriff right so i mean actually i'm surprised he's talked about it because I, I would imagine most of these guys would not want to talk about something like that for fear of i mean just being discredited and stuff yeah it is surprising that you'd get a a current sheriff talking about this i wonder if he was reprimanded because that's not something they usually are told to go out and tell the public 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, here's a a small list, very limited list of missing people. Angie Fulmer, missing 10 days before Christmas when she took a drive through the park with her boyfriend and was never seen again. There is a, um, a girl named, I guess, uh, Karen Miro or Miro. She disappeared in 1997, but since there was a warrant out for her arrest, something she might have, you know, fled, yeah. gone somewhere. All right. So there's a girl named Hannah Zakagini who disappeared a few months later in 1997, and she knew a lot of the same people as Karen. Uh, Devonte Morgan disappeared in 2020 when he was visiting the park with his girlfriend. They had an argument. She walked off and then he was never seen again. Um, okay. Some, some others here is a guy named Rocky Ramirez, Marie Louise Andrus, Philip Verne, uh, Des Hayes, Betty Jane Lowe Bush, Ray Ronaldo Martin, Grace Sabbats, and Rosemary Kuntz all disappeared. That's a a short list of names, and and we're going to get into a few of the stories here, you guys. The first being uh, the mysterious disappearance of Carl Landers. Now, what makes this disappearance so bizarre is that Carl was a highly experienced hiker. Now, he was getting up there in age, but I think the reason why Missing 411 zeroed in on this um, is because it's unclear what happened. It's, it's a, it's a solid, just complete vanished into thin air scenario here. So the story goes that basically in May of 1999, 68 year old or 69, I heard in some cases, but around 68 year old Carl Landers was believed to be dead after he slipped and fell, but his body was never found. He was with a party of climbers trying to get to the summit of Mount Shasta. So from the Strange Outdoors website, we get uh, this quote here, which is, despite a huge search of every inch of Shasta by experienced mountain rescue teams, Carl had vanished and no sign has turned up in over two decades. This is interesting here. The topography of the area around Mount Shasta and Lake Helen makes it very difficult for someone to disappear. And there are no obvious crevices, nor is there any dense vegetation or trees which would obscure a body. The lake was thoroughly searched, as was the forest, on a grid basis at the base of the mountain. Every you know, excuse me, even after cadaver sniffing and human scent dogs were used and they detected nothing, there was nowhere for Carl to hide and locals familiar with the mountain were totally stumped and baffled. Okay, now in September of the same year, the body of 32-year-old Red, Red Quistus was also recovered at nearly 12,000 feet elevation a day after he disappeared while climbing, you know, in contrast to what we were just talking about. He was also believed to have slipped on ice, fell on some rocks, and tumbled down the mountain about 100 feet. There's a little bit more to this story. So, Well, yeah, I mean, like, they, they, like when you even get to the people who are searching, they, brought, they immediately brought in um, aircraft with IR. Helicopters, yeah. Helicopters with IR. And I think one of the pilots specifically said he's either he said, I would have found him if he's on the mountain. I would have 100 percent found him if he was on the mountain. So he's either not on the mountain or he's in the mountain. Basically, everyone what, was. What is IR? John? Infrared. So. so so yeah, heat, infrared, they're, they, they were scanning the whole mountain, especially his path where he was going with IR from the air very, very soon after they realized he disappeared and they would have picked him up. And with the knowledge and the experience that the aircraft pilot had, he's like, this guy's not on the mountain. I am so, he was so like, um, convinced based off of the data that he had that the guy just like vanished into thin air that there's there's no way this can happen so that's the problem with with the lander's disappearance huge problem with the lander's disappearance um but it does follow a certain um sequence a certain path because 
Carl was hiking with some friends. Yeah, two, they two were other the friends. Right. And and they they were gonna peak Mount Shasta. And Mount Shasta is not a very difficult uh peak to do in general it, it, compared to other peaks, right? It's I mean 14,000 feet elevation. It's still it can still be really rough on the body, but for somebody who's experienced, it's not one of the more difficult climbs. Um, and he'd done it before on top of it. So their base camps on the way up where you go from camp to camp in order to peak. They were at one base camp getting ready to go to the next base camp. Carl wasn't feeling well. And so he decided that he didn't want to hold the group back. So he would head to the camp, the next camp before them. And then some they'd type back of, up to him. And some type of altitude sickness or something like that, right? Something was Reportedly. going on with him, right? right. When they arrived at the next base camp after, you know, this is, I think he left like two or three hours before them. When he arrived at the next, next base camp, he wasn't there. And they were asking around and, and nobody had seen him. Nobody had seen a thing. And then when they brought the searchers in, there were no footprints or anything of Carl's. They just couldn't find anything, couldn't find anything. And it's, and from what I understand, it's, it's pretty much a relatively non-debris field, like safe pass from one camp to the next wasn't like a big heavy duty freaky hike at all um so the thing that kind of concerns me is the fact that he wasn't feeling well because we've seen this in other cases of, of disappearances where a person has reported that they don't feel well something has happened to them the day before or something like two pinpricks on their neck. They wake up with two pinpricks on their neck and they, they, they feel drugged the next day. Wait, so it, this is a thing. Like they actually, they so, wake up with pinpricks. This isn't like, I feel like something poked me. They actually right. wake up with physical. Right. Right. So there've been reports of this, of not feeling well. Right. And, and if you talk to, um, um, some of these people that have disappeared, if you could talk to some of these people who have disappeared, there could be a lot of that going on where they had pinpricks or they had some kind of physical thing happen to them. Um, we have this other story uh, in the public where it has had happened to somebody and they, you know, they, they basically are around to tell the story. And so when I hear Carl was sick, I start to think, oh, interesting. Could it have been this phenomena that happens where he had woken up with the pinpricks on the neck or something and then was taken later on because our remote viewing data gets really weird on what happened to him. So just to give a little bit of background here too, you guys is this fellow Carl was on like a mission to get to the top of several mountains like he had already done many many right. mountains before this and this was like kind of one of the one of the last ones you could say well right? he peaked so, it before and he, he knew and he, he knew it. so he had already peaked it yeah but he was not the the point i'm trying to make here is that he was this is not an inexperienced man this right. is a very experienced hiker like you'd worry about someone like me who's never done something like that a lot more than you're going to worry about Carl Landers, who he's very used to this. He's been there before he's, he's gone, he's going with some of his friends and yes, he's 69 years old, but this is not something that's, I mean, this is according to all of the reports I read a 69 year old man with two younger adventurers. This is not going to be that big of a problem, especially if they're stopping at the right camps and taking their time to get up to uh, the top. Right. 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 Exactly. Very strange. Yeah. And you know, it, we've done a lot on missing people. Um, I've worked a lot on that, like from police departments to even I was doing a um, uh, working with National Geographic because we were trying to develop a show around missing people in general, remote viewing missing people. And if you don't know what remote viewing is, you know, it's, it's basically that that um, technique protocol methodology that was developed by funding from the CIA that turned into a military program to turn psychics into spies. So, and we use that for, you know, helping police departments or 
finding weird paranormal things. When you remote view missing people, it's typically the usual stuff, right? Somebody has disappeared because they were either abducted, uh, they committed suicide, or they're running away. That's like the, the standard run. thing, right? That's yeah. what you find in your data. When you get to Mount Shasta, you have other things happening that aren't those. And so that's when things get very strange in the data. And you're just going, what is going on here? Because literally what I'm used to are the conventional things. And these are not conventional. So what we've gotten with Carl in remote viewing was that sometime before he was going on this uh, journey up the mountain to the next base camp, had had something come into his realm, into his camp, that took a sample of his DNA. Okay, this is probably the pinprick thing that happens to other people. He, something is taking a sample of the DNA in a subject. And when he was going up the mountain, he wasn't feeling well that whole day. When he was going up the mountain was when the data describes he was taken. So a craft came over him and basically took him into it, into this craft, and then took him to a location somewhere around Mount Shasta, not on the mountain. We're not talking about Lemurians, somewhere towards probably the like Wairika area um, and took them into a place underground where they have uh, like a facility, a location, laboratories, laboratories where they're extracting genetic material, specifically the blood. And <clears throat> from what we saw, this wasn't that long. I mean, he was, he was an older man. And I don't know how long like an older man would live in that kind of a situation. But when we did look at him, maybe a couple of years or so after um, this happened, he was still alive and he was still being used, like kept in a, in a location underground and still being used to extract genetic information uh, and genetic material from him. And the, the types of this is being, years, this is years after he's still years. there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what, what it would be like today, but this is years afterward. And, and what they were doing specifically, I mean, this goes back to like the Dulce um, firefight and what happened in Dulce, New Mexico and, 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 and what we found in data with that location. Now, this is going to sound absolutely nuts to people, absolutely bonkers to people, but you do have locations across this earth where there are these types of beings that are more reptilian-ish looking, who are abducting humans. I mean, when we looked into a lot of Native American uh, Indian women who are disappearing, a lot of this has to do with these types of abductions, where they're taking into underground locations and basically using them, um, using their genetics for things that they want to create and experiment with. And this is what happened to Carl Landers. This is what we saw and the, the telltale sign beforehand, like if you're on Mount Shasta, if you wake up with pin pricks on your neck, leave immediately, <laughs> immediately, because you're likely about to be taken. Now there are some cases where they won't take you, um, but you know, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get into some older newspaper articles on that that corroborate some of the data too. Well, and, and, and a little bit more on this is what's really bizarre is while I was researching Mount Shasta, I found a lot of old stories where Native Americans were saying that the race of people that live underneath Mount Shasta is a race of reptilians. These are Native yeah. American stories that go way back right. and that they've had interactions with these reptilians. Yeah. Yeah. So now, so now, now could they be, actual reptilians or more like reptilian brained people like meaning natured people because reptilian is not just a reptile looking human it could also be a more um the characteristics are more reptilian they're more ca uh carnivorous and uh cannibalistic let's say or something right. like that like it could be something like that right just i'm saying that because there's a lot of people out there who have a really hard time believing that there could be reptilian. But here's the thing. 
But here's the thing, and I think this is where people have to realize that our world has changed on the information side. What is the Pentagon releasing to people right now? Why is the mainstream media trying to convince people that UFOs are real and they are off planet? I mean, you have the Pentagon resisting that aspect, but you have whistleblowers coming out all over the place now talking about how they are non-terrestrial yeah. um, craft. With okay. higher levels of classification. Exactly. Guys are coming out. Yeah. You have to understand. I mean, you understand. I'm going to say everybody has to understand that these beings are actually on the earth and it's been evidenced already and put in front of you. It's not a stretch now to go to that next level where these beings actually have locations set up on this planet and view humans more of as like cattle beasts to a degree. animals right. yeah, yeah animals right so so what we see around mount shasta are beings that are more reptilian like who have advanced technology um and are are taking humans in that area we're not talking about necessarily in going into mount shasta we're talking about taking them to the periphery around the edges because that's what i found in in my expeditions around Mount Shasta is that the, the darker stuff is occurring on the periphery of the mountain itself. But John, why Shasta? Why is this place the place that they're doing this type of thing? Is it because, did you look into that at all? Like what, what is it about this place? I think this happens in, in locations where you have a lot of light energy, a lot of potential for trans, transcendental type energy flowing that you do find in so like a vortex regions. or like good, good kind of positive earth energies. Right. You, the, 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 the dichotomy gets extreme where you have a lot of light vortex energy moving through an area and high vibrational type energy, which it does. You will also get the very deeper, darker depths of negativity surrounding it as well. And I think that a lot of this has to do with, okay, think about this. If you are a reptilian and you're looking for a specific genetic blood type, right? You're looking for something specific. Would you be seeking out those people who are trying to find that light? Because maybe there's something in that people, in those people that, that are psychically more connected, more in tune and get attracted to an area, pulled to an area. And you want to be this filter to potentially capture them because maybe they have a different type of genetic material that you could utilize because they're different than the crowds of other people on the planet because they hear something internally. And maybe that's encoded into their genetics, right? So maybe there's this filter, this dark filter that's around it to capture some of these people to see what can be done with their genetics and experiment with. That's nightmare youth, man. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's crazy. And and I don't mean crazy in the you're crazy way. Crazy in that like by I mean, you can imagine scenarios like this occurring. Yeah. I mean, and there's so many stories, dude. Like like I have seen footage of people's eyes shifting and I'm not talking about like uh, edited footage that, uh, right. you know, like everyone's going to criticize you for like live television, people on screen, you're seeing something you can't explain. Happen. I, I have seen exactly what you're talking about, but in person, in person. Can, okay. So what did you do? Pretend like I didn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would have probably reacted the same way. I'd have been like, okay, okay. good talking to you. Yeah. yeah. I was, what is it at? Like, a, you know, at a, at a meeting or something or just in, in, in like a supermarket. Was it just like a, a hap, happens chance meeting with someone? What, what was someone it? I knew and, and their eyes went from normal pupil into a, a slit. slit. Yeah. Twice. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So uh, moral of this story is, if you're, if we have you're, a moral. <laughs> if you're having uh, what I'm going to call some type of Shasta sickness while you're up there and right. you're feeling some type of prick on your neck or something like that, you may want to get yourself off and out yeah. of that place. Yeah, I would suggest that. Definitely suggest that. Um, yeah. <laughs> but of course, do your own research. We're just we're just researchers here. Right. So you have like, you know multiple people though we haven't looked at everyone you know it's not like it's, it's hard to look at pe people constantly 
that have disappeared. In fact, when we were doing a lot of this stuff in the past, um, especially around the National Geographic project that we're focused on, mm -hmm. it just got wearing for the viewers and for myself. Of course. Um, it's all negative because, all the time. Because it's always negative, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. And then it's like, it's like, it just wear it like missing people too. Like the, yeah. the amount of dark scenarios that can get a person missing. And then you have to like experience that. Was well, I mean, it's crazy. It's like, okay. So for instance, if you think that you're going to remote view missing people and then give it to the police departments, you're wrong. You're wrong because you are not, what I found is that if you're not invited into their karmic circle, you have to think about like all of the players here, all of the energies at play here in order for this situation to unfold for them. You can't just like step in and go, here's information on it. I think I solved it for you and go do it. Well, maybe it was the killer that had to take somebody to the burial site or whatever, right? Because that's part of the whole karmic circle of it. So you have to be invited into these things. But if you have curiosity, it's a different story and you're not necessarily going to work with police departments. Okay, or you're not interfering. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, heck, he was like three women had disappeared in Ohio at one point and we were remote viewing them. I, we found that they were still alive and being held somewhere nearby where they were abducted. Like that's what we found. It was all in our data. We're trying to locate the place, contact police departments, whatever. They were just like, no, no, we don't, we're not going to deal with you, whatever. Years later, we find out that, these three women escaped from their house, from a house that they were kept in for years. One or two of them were pregnant. It was all over the news. So it was like verification of data, but it's like National Geographic wanted this to be turned into this sort of overnight event, which you just can't do, right? It's like a long-term thing that nobody will actually listen to you unless you get invited into the karmic circle. And this is exactly what we were viewing this right here. We determined they were alive and held nearby. Very sad. You know, when you know this kind of information, you want to do something about it. It's very frustrating because you want people to be. Yeah, you're trying to okay. help. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, so it's, it's a. And then missing oh, people are frustrating. When I feel, when I hear Carl and see the data on this, I'm like, there's nothing I can do about it. You know? In fact, when we remote view Mount Shasta, we have to be so careful that we don't go too deep into the reptilian side because like all beings and aliens in general, they have a little bit more awareness and they can tell when we're remote viewing them. Right. And that's not a good situation. I don't need to have pinpricks. <laughs> yeah. There's already bat squatch in your area. You don't need reptilians yeah. up there too. You know exactly. what I'm saying? Yeah. And so uh, that's just the beginning here. Uh, there was, an interesting case you were telling me about a guy named Terry Knight. What right. happened here? What happened to Terry Knight? So he was, yeah, he was um, mountain he biking, cutting trails. Disappeared or, around June 22nd, 2022, right? Yeah, just about last year, a year ago. So it's, it's, it's new. It's a, very new. Um, and he was um, part of a mountain biking club. And near McLeod, actually, <clears throat> just south of Mount Shasta. And he went out one day to cut some trails, mountain bike and cut some trails. Um, when we looked at him, it, it was pretty conventional, though. It looked like he was attacked and eaten by potentially what, what appears to be a bear. Whoa. Right. So that's the other thing of it. It's like, you know, they didn't find him. They found his bike. They found his helmet. They found his clothes, which is actually normal. When somebody's cutting trails, they'll like change clothes when they're cutting the trail and then change back. So that was a normal thing uh, to find. And but they never found him and or any remnants of him. Um, but, you know, our data was like more on the conventional side. He was attacked by some kind of wild animal and dragged off. Basically, it, it seemed to be the data revolved around um, um, uh, a mother protecting its young. So I think what we have there in the data was a bear and cubs and he came across the cubs and that's mm -hmm. when it all happened. And that is the most dangerous situation with a bear. It doesn't matter if his black bear will still attack you. Mm. Yeah. What do you do drag, in that? Drag you into his den. Like what, what do you do in a situation where you come across a, a, some cubs and you don't see the mom, you see the cubs and you're like, Oh crap. Like, what do you do? 
Uh, I, I, that's happened to me before. And what? I just stop. I just stop. Basically just stop and just wait to see what's going to happen. Wait to see if the mom goes away and hope that cub goes off into the forest and then just let it all be either go the opposite direction or just let it sit for a while. So you really can't move and draw attention to yourself. So you kind of have no choice but to play yeah. the game of chance with that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Words yeah. of wisdom from John here. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Now that was no kind aliens. of more of a, what's that? Say that again. No aliens on that one. No aliens on that one. And uh, if you're, if you're disappointed, well, um, disappointed <laughs> you're disappointed clinch up because uh there's a few more here so Knowles, who's this this gentleman uh Knowles. david Knowles, yeah he was um man so he went to this place called sims flat and i'd been there a couple times actually we spoke about sims flat in our earlier mount shasta episode and it was yeah. bizarre when i went there um there's a very strange peaceful feeling there but he went there to go camping and fishing with some buddies over the weekend, right? Drinking some beer and fishing. He had to go to the restroom. And so he walked around the bathroom after he went to the restroom because uh, this one particular area at Sims Flat Campground has a interesting vibration to it. And I'm sure he was pulled in by the calm, interesting vibration. Also, there's a creek back there. Um, he's probably looking at it, see if there's any fish in it. So he goes back there and our remote viewing data showed this sort of vortex thing open up at a certain point and him getting sucked into it. I know it sounds absolutely bizarre, but when he got sucked into it, it was like, like he's tossed around in a washing machine, like he's in between realms. It's like the upside down. What we see a lot of in remote viewing data is that when somebody goes into a portal, whether on purpose or inadvertently, it is into this upside down sort of area. And you have to have some kind of intention or direction to go once you go into the upside down, otherwise you're stuck in there. That's where a lot of people get lost. And when you hear Preston Nichols talk about it, he said lots of people got lost in the upside down basically. So that's where he seemed to have gotten Stuck. You guys, and you guys at home, Preston Nichols was the guy who dropped the um, information on the Montauk project originally. Yeah. Um, and revealed the, you know, the details around this government um, operation over in the eastern part of uh, Montauk. Right. That's him. It's like, you know, that was another, that was like a Carl Landers case where literally there's like no evidence of anything. His car's still there. His supplies are still there. You're in a campground. You, you go to the, it's like the, the restroom is just a normal wooden building in the campground. He goes to the restroom and then never comes back. Gone. Like wipe off the face of the earth, right? I mean, before remote viewing that, I was thinking, well, he probably fell in the creek. Yeah, I mean, the creek's not that deep, so it won't do anything if you fall in it. Could have um, bumped your head, though, and got washed away, maybe. I mean, right. You know. There's a, the, or he, like I thought maybe, well, maybe he, he wanted to disappear. You know, maybe he had some trouble on him or something, and he wanted to disappear. So he used that opportunity. Yeah, slipped um, away. You know, I, I had heard that one way that pe the, one of the best ways, if you want to disappear, is to just go into the forest <laughs> and then change your name or, you know, go through the process of changing your identity, whatever that entails, but getting going, Oh, he went on a forest camping trip, backpacking trip and never came back. Well, presumed dead. Right. So that's the easiest, best way to make yourself disappear. They never found a body. Right. So I thought maybe it was something like that. Right. <laughs> Use caution when running into the forest, looking for, <laughs> looking for thank you, Lindsay. She just popped that up on the screen. That's really funny. Um, now, questions that I have around this, though, still, before we get on to our final missing cases, uh, missing people's case is, well, where is he now? Well, you, you know, you described him being in this washing machine. Where did he land or is he still there? And he's and, still there. He's so, literally just on the other side. Doesn't. But you were talking about intention. So it's, it's like being the, in a nightmare. Yeah. 
And how could he get out? Like the thing is, is it wouldn't like imagine him just reappearing all of a sudden. Like that would cause mass that confusion in the minds of people around the world. He could just show up right next to that creek. Like what would your karma cargo? What would your karma have to be to get yourself into a situation where you disappear into a portal and you're stuck right. in a nightmare? Right. Exactly. That's awful. Yeah, Poor it's guy. awful. Yeah. I know. But yeah, he could he could definitely reappear. When you say he's still there, now is he still in a washing machine or is he making to the other side and he's in some place like the upside down wandering around trying to find his way That's back? That's what it is, really. But it's like a washing machine where things constantly change, scenes constantly it's like a change. dream. It, or like a bardo, right? Like, you know, we get into the idea of Tibetan bardos where I've never heard that before. What's that? Bardos are are like different realms and different stages that a person goes through when they die. And they can have different phenomena occur in them that are all illusory type phenomena. Mm. Um, and so the upside down kind of reminds me of that, sort of like a, a bardo, bardo area. When Preston Nichols said that a lot of people got lost there, it's because they moved away from the door. And they won't come back because you're not going to find that door. It's like us trying to find a portal here to go through to get to like our home realm. How hard is that? That's difficult, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. I haven't found a portal yet. I haven't found my my door yet. I'm stuck in the upside down here. Right. 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 <laughs> Our version of the upside down. Right. Man, that's that's crazy. I mean, I'm wondering, and you know, you wonder how how often does something like this happen? Where I mean, think about how many missing cases, uh, missing people cases we have uh, right. every year. We're, we're, we're talking about like thousands and thousands of missing persons cases in and even in the national forests. Right. <laughs> How many I of know. these are a result of something like this? Because the, right. those areas are going to contain different energies and things like that. But one question I have that the naysayers are going to have is, well, if this is the case, why don't these portals exist in big cities or in these other places where people are? Why is it only in this one area that happens to so conveniently be behind a, a camping ground that this guy went to the restroom at? And somehow when no one else has gotten sucked into a portal, this guy manages to get sucked into one. It's a good question. And I think what you find is that when you get to these locations where you have volcanoes and a lot of earth energies, <clears throat> telluric type energies, um, energies coming from the earth, we uh, electromagnetic anomalies, gravitational anomalies, which are all things that can be read with, you know, current scientific inf instrumentation you do find these types of things happening. You don't find them in cities because cities aren't necessarily built in these areas. And, you know, I would probably argue that point too, where you can find stories of people talking about these things in cities as well, but not as prevalent as in the woods, you know, just not as prevalent. Mm. Yeah. Very interesting, but not as interesting as the boy and grandmother case that was in missing 411 we do not have the names of these individuals it was kept um it was kept kind of secret for obvious reasons it's a very bizarre story yeah it's um, a strange one yeah so uh, tell tell me a little bit about it you, you well there was a there was a a grandmother i won't say what her name is of a three-year-old boy um, the grandmother had camped in this area before. It was around McLeod, uh, south of Mount Shasta. And <clears throat> at one point, she was camping with a friend of hers. And they went to sleep at night. She woke up the next morning with two pinpricks on her neck and feeling drugged the next day. And outside of the tent. Yeah, face down on the sand. Face down, right? And so <clears throat> she later went camping there. So nothing happened to her after that. Okay. Um, as far as we know, she later went camping there with her grandson, three-year-old boy. Um, so for about five hours, the boy had disappeared. Like she went out to look for him. Everybody in the campground was looking for this little boy calling for him. He's three years old. They don't know what happened to him. Just like their one moment completely gone the next. So 
the search and rescue even came in because we're talking about a three-year-old kid and they scoured everywhere for this kid around. The, I mean, he couldn't have gotten far. He's three years old. Well, and right? like we, like we were talking about with, uh, with Carl there at the beginning, you know, it's not like there is a significant amount of, um, of brush here, right? There's, that yeah, nothing right. to hide anyone. So it's, there's it's some bushes, you got pine trees, some bushes around, you got a river right there. Hopefully you sure. didn't fall into the river, wander off and fall into the river. So they're searching all up and down the river. They're going through the campsite multiple, multiple times, looking in bushes, et cetera, et cetera. Five hours. They do this. They find him in a bush that they'd already checked multiple times right next to the campsite. Like, he just appeared there out of thin one air. Moment the gone the next one moment. One moment gone, next moment there, right? So it's like he disappeared. It came back in a sense. So what happened to this kid? You know, he's a three-year-old and he's trying to relate what happened to him. He said that a version of his grandma, or he said his robot grandma, came and took him into a cave, and he said that there were guns and purses on the wall of the cave. He said the robot grandmother, his robot grandmother was his grandmother, but not because she was a robot. And she was trying to get him to defecate on a piece of paper. He said that the, the robot grandmother started to get frustrated with him because he couldn't do it. He didn't have to. He couldn't do it. And he started to get very afraid. So eventually he started, what, I think he started crying and they brought him back. That's the story, right? Well, so while happened? he was there, I heard details of him seeing other, I don't know what yes. you want to call it, robot-like creatures. Robot-like creatures, there were others. That, that yeah. were in stasis and even had cobwebs exactly. on him, them and stuff. Right, right. So he's got this whole absolutely bizarre story around it. Um, but there are some clues in the story that tell you what this is. Okay. So before you go into that, I, I, yeah. and I want to hear that, how this got revealed is weeks after he was found, he, he's with his grandmother again. And he says to his grandmother, right. I like, I like this version of you better than the version right. of you in the cave or whatever. Yeah. Because and, the psychiatrists were saying, don't pressure him to tell what happened. Right. Yeah. And so they're they're not asking him questions. They're letting him reveal it. He says that. And then she starts asking him questions, trying right. to find out more about this. Now, what I find really interesting is when you're looking at this case and people analyzing this case, the first thing you hear out of their mouths is, well, he's a three year old boy and he's right. he's making all of this up and all of that. But I have this is the strange thing is I'm like, how can you just say that? Because young children are much more likely to tell you a bizarre truth than they are to just make something up in an insane way. And if you talk to people who've nanny children or who have taken care of children for a long time, children are by nature truthful about stuff like this. Right. So can at least recognize that as my point. Like you can recognize the part where, okay, maybe he could have made some of this up and it was a dream, but let's recognize the part where children are very likely to be telling you the truth about something like this if they right. are talking about something at all. And the, the other problem is that he did he did go somewhere because they searched the area that he was found multiple times before he showed up there. And you had a lot of people searching. He would have been found, right? He would have been found, absolutely. Right, right, right. So he had an experience, you know, and he's with his three-year-old brain, he's trying to like explain what happened to him, right? It wasn't a robot. It wasn't a robot grandmother. He, he's trying to say what it was, but those, that's the language he uses for the experience, right? Somebody that looked like his grandmother. What you get into this idea of, um, of beings who can shapeshift in a sense or appear to be something that is comfortable to somebody. Right. So, <clears throat> so the remote viewing data on this, when we looked at it, like what happened to the kid was that he was taken into a cave. He was taken into a location right near there. It's the same beings that took Carl Landers because what had happened before was the grandmother had the pinpricks. There's genetic 
material that runs through the family that these beings are interested in. And they wanted to get genetic material from the kid. That is the whole defecation on the piece of paper. That's how the kid is interpreting it, right? They wanted him, they wanted some genetic material from him, but he couldn't do it. So what we have here is that they took him back because at that moment they were close by, everybody's close by. Um, they're looking for the kid. They can't get anything out of him. They didn't just take him away. They literally just put him back to where they found him in a moment that they could do it. But it was the same creatures, the same beings that were like doing this stuff to Carl Landers. That were, so, okay, so it's the same beings that were prodding and have been prodding Carl if he's still alive. Right, right, a long time right, ago now. Right, right. So so that's that's what happened with this kid is that, so in that area, the McLeod area, there is, there, there's a paranormal aspect. Like these beings have a technology that appears paranormal in general, where they can appear as somebody else, where they can um, basically um, appear in one moment, appear in one location in one moment, and then move out of that location, like appear and disappear. Um, we had seen that they have these craft like um, drone drones, un unmanned drones that if they're standing under it, they literally will just disappear into it. Star yeah. Trek type stuff. Right. But it's a tech technology based stuff. Okay. Strange timing for Lindsay to be pulling up this image of this character from this is a Marvel character. Now, what's interesting is this new um, this new series that just came out about Nick Fury on Disney. They, I don't know if you've seen this, but Disney is facing enormous backlash right now because they used an, a generative AI to create the opening for this new Nick Fury series. And it's god awful. <laughs> it's so bad, dude. It looks so cheesy. Like, you know how AI is like, it, if you're not using mid journey, you know, the AI is weird. Like it, it, it right. shows just like distorted images and stuff. Like it was like a video opening using that. And, um, and it's, it's terrible. And they, they're facing a lot of bad. It's the first time an AI has, has created an opening and they're getting tremendous backlash for it oh wow i gotta check it out i haven't seen yeah. it yet it's pretty silly yeah <laughs> like who knows what they told it and it's like it's kind of animated but it's kind of not you know openings right. can be like that anyway but it looks right. really crappy and it feels awful because you know how like you almost feel like you're in that upside down nightmare dimension right. when you're looking at like generative ai like video or whatever you know right right yeah <laughs> Sorry for the tangent. I just kind of no, want to no. it's, it's a rep, one of these reptilian being things. And right. Um, you know, and that was another weird thing about uh, Captain Marvel is you. Did you watch that movie, John? I don't think I saw that one. OK, it was I, real I stay bad. Away a lot. I stay away from a lot of this like high level programming stuff. OK, so, yeah. I watch all the I watch every, like all the big stuff I try to watch. I try to keep ahead of that because it's pop culture stuff and I'm trying right. to understand what they're doing and see what even what small disclosures they're putting in there and what stories they're telling because I right. find that these movie directors are way more well researched than they would have you know to the yeah. point where they're getting information from somewhere that they're not telling you because there's no way you create something as spot on as Stranger Things and you weren't Exactly. Great. Yeah. So what was strange about Captain Marvel is it was almost like a puff piece to to promote these reptilian races. Oh yeah, yeah. It was can, a, it was like I've seen um, that in other films. Yeah, and and almost like you have compassion for these reptilians. They're right. just like human beings and all of this stuff. And meanwhile, you know, I'm I'm seeing stories that are like much more nefarious about these things than they'll have, you know, well that, I mean, anytime we have these beings show up in remote viewing data, they're doing something bad. They have negative intentions towards humans. Of course, you know, they're doing their thing, whatever it is, surviving in 3d physical reality. Um, and these things aren't like necessarily like <clears throat> higher dimensional, other dimensional beings. They're no. like more third dimensional beings with advanced technology. And um, and they think and they we're animals or something. Yeah, right. they, 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 you know, you know, 
humans smell like bacon, basically, you know? <laughs> That's a t-shirt. Yeah. That's a t- humans smell like bacon. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. So, all right. Now, the boy is found. The story gets revealed um, over time. David Polites obviously found it strange enough and interesting enough to, in as credible way as possible, retell this story in Missing 411. Is there anything else that you'd like to reveal about this? Because you, you've you've had experience retelling this story multiple times as well, haven't you? Well, yeah. The thing the thing with the story um, is that you know I knew a guy at that time who was investigating it, and so he went to the campsite. He's looking all around, and at one point he found what he thought looked like a. Um, a false door, if you know what a false door. We talk about these things like Aramamuru, how you have that yeah. little entry that goes nowhere, right? Yes. This is like a pretend doorway. So he thought what he found uh, looked something like that in the area where the boy went missing. And there are a lot of stories around Mount Shasta which talk about beings that will come through like the stones, like a stone monument, and we'll get to these stories later, but there's, there's these stories. So he thought that was kind of interesting. And he, he set up and took some pictures around it. And he found in some of the pictures, there were some orbs. He got some glowing orbs around this location. So he told me, and I went to the location as well uh, with him. And we also remote viewed it. And we found that this place was like an, like a energetic entry point at the very least a shamanic type of doorway that ancient peoples would use and considered it sacred. Um, I don't know what tribe it would possibly be, but they would consider this location a sacred doorway to another realm and use it mostly for shamanic type travel. Now, whether somebody could be taken, like sucked into it, I don't know. We never saw that in the data. Could it be that the boy potentially was taken through that? And was it used for something like that? Could be. Um, what it looked like specifically was this, there's this, this huge cliff wall and it, you've got just a rock face and inset was the shape of a doorway is what it looked like specifically. It wasn't a cave or anything like that. It probably mm-hmm. went in like about a foot to two feet inward. Um, and that was the, that was an interesting feature that did have something to it. As far as the kid going through there, couldn't verify it. Um, I think it was it was um, something more that we found in the data that was related to shamanic practices. Hmm. Yeah. All right, you guys. Well, that does wrap up this crazy episode revolved around Mount Shasta. In the next episode, we are going to, for the first time, retell the full story of J.C. Brown and peripheral stories that seem to corroborate Mr. J.C. Brown's adventures into, I guess, what we would call Telos. So we don't know, but hold on to your hats because uh, we're actually not even close to the end. And we've been riffing on this for about two hours straight now. So anyway, thank you guys for being with us. And uh, we hope you thought this episode was as out of this world as we did. John, thanks a lot.